Good morning, Mosaic. My name is Anna, and it is so good to be here worshiping with you in person, seeing your faces. Um, in a moment, I'm going to open the word, and we're going to read scripture for today, um, just as a way of honoring the word of God. And after I read, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and you are going to respond, thanks be to God. So would you stand with me as we read the word? This is Luke 5:27 through 32. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and the sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thanks, Anna. Good morning. Hey, my name's Tim. I'm the lead pastor. It's really good to be with you. Um, if you uh, either wandered in, in the last couple minutes or if, uh, if you logged on in the last uh, couple minutes and you missed uh, right when we started, um, you missed Phil kind of uh, confessing that he got angry and threw stuff through our wall. Um, th- that was a joke. Um, and so that, that didn't happen. Um, uh, not that it's never happened, um, uh, but it didn't happen this week. So uh, what this is, is a uh, stuff starting to, to happen uh, within our, our now and next efforts. And um, it's, it's pretty exciting. What's, what's exciting to me is that th- there's some of it that we can start to see, and then there's a lot going on that we can't see. And so if you're not aware, or if this is all new, or if you're new here, or if you're wondering what, what is going on, why is this happening, um, we have been using uh, this, this space to gather in, to, to worship, to sing together, to open up God's word together uh, for, gosh, uh, 18, 18 and a half years. Um, and a couple years into our journey as a church, we put a significant amount of money into this building uh, to change it from what it had been into uh, to kind of upgrade it and make it really usable and, and great. Uh, and then we've not invested a ton over the last about 15 years. And then as COVID hit and so much changed, we became hybrid. And by hybrid, I mean that we gather here in person uh, now, and then we're also gathered online. And so uh, we're live in person, we're live online, and then at the same time, we are recording to to watch or listen later. And so that takes a lot of uh, stuff to make that happen. and to happen well. And so uh, several months ago, I think it was, uh, gosh, probably six to nine months ago, we started praying about what it would look like uh, to, to improve and upgrade our space here. And this is part of it. And so thank you to those of you that have prayed about and committed to give financially to help make this happen. Uh, thanks to those of you that have been giving faithfully. Uh, this is a result of it. We gave a significant amount at the end of uh, the calendar year in December. Uh, and then we've got a number of commitments. Many of us have committed to give over the next two years. 
Um, and we're currently at about a one-third of our commitment for two years. Um, and so there's also many of us, there's actually um, more of us who have not made a commitment yet than those of us who have. And so every time I say that, uh, a few folks come up and go, I know we've got the card at home and we've been talking about it, but uh, just 22 has been really busy and crazy. And so I get that. Uh, if that's something that you want more information about or uh, if you don't know about, I would love to talk with you. You can email me, grab me after the gathering. There's cards on the table over there, many in the seats in front of us. But what God is leading us to is to best use this space to, to do three things at once. Uh, to meet like this and to do that effectively, to be online and that make that an enjoyable, workable experience, uh, and then to be able to record at the very same time. And so we built a studio in the lower level uh, midway through the pandemic, and that worked for us great. We've now tore it down as we're ready to have kids uh, back down there, and kids are starting to come back. This is our second gathering now uh, where not all of us are wearing masks, and mask requirement is no longer in place. And so We've seen families and parents say, okay, I think maybe we're ready to start exploring what it's like to have our kids together again. Um, as I say that, I also need to share with you, um, while we have given so sacrificially and so generously and we're starting to do this, this project uh, here to make this space more usable, um, we've, we've lagged behind in our monthly uh, giving in January and in February. Uh, and so we've published a role that we were uh, set to hire, which is a part-time kids director role, um, and we're pushing pause on that right now um, in, until we get kind of our monthly giving back on track in order to, to hire that. And so we're in this space where we're really wanting to, to invest in our kids ministry that is in person again uh, going forward, but we do need to push pause on, on that role. So um, if you've got any questions about that, I'd love to talk to you uh, about that more, but that's just kind of where we're at now. Um, thank you again for just faithful, generous, sacrificial giving uh, that, that we collectively have been engaging in. Uh, and God has been so faithful to us through the pandemic and now as we look forward to how God's going to use us in, in the future. So um, I, think, I think that's it. I want you to do this with me. I want you to close your eyes and, and pray. We're going to open up scripture. As we, as we read the, the scripture that we're going to be talking and, and teaching through every Sunday together, there is this sense where we are being formed by God's word each and every week, uh, and we're able to be sent out into our weeks and to be able to lead and live and serve and love in the way that God wants us to, that Jesus is forming in us. Um, and so as we open up scripture together, this is such a vital, important time that we're formed collectively and individually. So let's pray and ask that Jesus would teach us uh, in these next few moments. God, you're, you're here with us. This is your time and your space, and we are joining you. And so we just, we just declare that you are here and that you are good and that you are powerful, that you see each and every one of us, that you, by your hand and intention, created and crafted each and every one of us carefully. We are not an accident. We are not here by chance. But you, God, have designed us, created us, given us life, and now we are here and use that life to, to say that you are good and loving and powerful. And Holy Spirit, would you help us to do that? Would you even give us the words to do that? As we see words on a screen and we're able to sing, as we're able to read your word in Scripture, would you then give us words to be able to talk to ourselves and those closest around us to, to tell of who you are as we pursue you and know you and, and love you? So Holy Spirit, do that work in us right now. And then Jesus, we just saying that you're beautiful would we see that ever more clearly as we read this short story about you today, that you're good, that you're beautiful, that you're loving, that you're gracious, that you're merciful, and that you're strong? 
Would we see all of that, and would you teach us to see you more as we seek to follow you with every breath of our life? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. If you're not there already, Luke uh, chapter 5. Um, again, if, if you've just joined us, we're, we're working our way through the book of Luke. It's been a number of months, and it will be a number of months, and we're just taking our time to, to go through uh, and see where God leads us through this. And so that's a different kind of thing than picking a, a, a topic or something to teach on, which, which we can do, and that's a, a healthy and good thing to do. But we're just taking our time right now to go through the book of Luke. And uh, in the, the, you heard Anna just read it, but it's six verses. It's really short. It's a story about a guy named Levi. But it's all about Jesus. And this guy named Luke is writing the book of Luke to his friend Theophilus. And he's, he's saying, I want you to know more and more about Jesus. So every story is really about Jesus, although there's other characters and details a part of it. And what we see about Jesus in this story is that we get to see this snapshot, this really clear picture of how Jesus feels about people, how he thinks about people, and how he behaves towards them. How he thinks about people. I, I, that's something that hopefully is stirred in you. You wonder, how does Jesus think about me? We get a little glimpse of that in this story today. How does Jesus feel about me? We'll get a little glimpse of that in the story today. If Jesus were here, how would he behave toward me? We'll, we'll see a little bit of that. And we're going to see it through this, this experience of this outcast. Levi is the outcast. We're going to see it through his experience with this outcast, through a party that Levi throws, and then through a trick question. So we're going to see it through Levi the outcast, through a party, and through a, a trick question. Now, it's six verses. It's really short, but the first two, two words are after this, and it's really important to know what this is after. It says, after this. And what, what this little, little short story is, is Jesus has been busy doing a lot of things, and Luke is recording it. And we get to this verse, and it says, after this, before he starts talking about Levi. And so it's important to know, what is this coming after? What has just happened? Well, right immediately before it was the story, the verses that we looked at last week, that Jesus heals a, a paralytic, a paralyzed guy, but he goes beyond that. He, he forgives his sin. So he says, hey, get up and walk in. Your sins are forgiven. He does both those things. And then right before that, he has healed a leper, a man with a skin disease that has resulted in everybody in his life treating him as if he's dead. And so it's like a resurrection. And then before that, we see Jesus healing a demon-possessed man. So when we're reading this story and it says after this, it's because Jesus has just healed a, a demon who nobody else knew what to do with and couldn't do anything with. And then the next thing Jesus does is essentially bring a man back to life. He restores a man's life because he heals him of leprosy. And then he goes beyond that, not just a demon, but bringing somebody back to life. And then he says, you can walk, but I'm going to do something even more impressive than that. I'm going to forgive your sins. What Jesus is doing is he's on this increasing, shocking, surprising, unprecedented teaching and miracle working. And it's increasing and it's crescendoing. And so what, what happens after he forgives somebody's sin? He talks with a tax collector. How is that in the next bigger thing? Let's, let's find out. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Um, again, previously Jesus has just forgiven somebody's sins and just blown everybody's mind, and especially the religious leaders, the spiritual leaders, the teachers, the law, and those kind of things. Like, they're like, you can't, only God can do that. You have no business doing that. That is impossible. And how do we even check and see if that's happened? And Jesus does this amazing thing, forgives his sin. 
But the next thing he does, and why it's even a bigger deal, is that he takes somebody and he says, hey, come, come be with me. Come, come hang out with me. I'm going to start going, and you're going to come with me. You're going to be in my circle of friends and family. You're now with me. And one of the reasons that that was so shocking is because Levi was an outcast. Levi was an outcast. Levi was a tax collector, and by definition, he was an outcast. So you've got a, a nation of Jews, a Jewish nation, a nation of Israel, and then they're being ruled over by Romans. They're occupied. They're being ruled by, we can imagine that, unfortunately, in today's world, where a, a different kind of ethnicity comes in and rules over another people. And so the Jews hate the Romans for all sorts of numerous reasons. But some of the Jews conspire with the Romans, and some of these were tax collectors. And how they would conspire would be to say, for this neighborhood, I will, I will pay you, Romans, X amount of dollars, say $100. I'll pay you $100 for this neighborhood so that the right to collect taxes. And so what would happen is that the Romans would then say, you owe us $100 for this year to collect taxes here. But then he would be empowered to collect as much taxes as he possibly could. And so he looked at the neighborhood and went, hmm, I think I can squeeze $1,000 out of this neighborhood and give 100 to the Romans and pocket 900. And everybody knew that this is what was going on. And when a tax collector became a tax collector, they were cut off from their people. Not only were they cut off, but their entire family was cut off. So, so Levi and his extended family were now ostracized. They were outcasts from his neighborhood, his part of the city, the people that he had born, been born and raised among. He was an outcast. And so when it says that Jesus was walking by and, and this guy was sitting outside of his tax booth, he was watching all the people who hated him walk by. And either they'd paid their taxes or they hadn't paid their taxes, but everybody hated Levi. And Jesus because he just likes to mess with people, stops and says, you, out of everybody, you, come and follow me. And so Jesus wasn't playing by the rules that everybody else was playing by, because if he was, he would have said, shame on you, you're a bad person, and he would have kept walking. But he doesn't. He doesn't condemn him. He doesn't judge him. He says, hey, why don't you come hang out with me? Levi drops everything and follows him. And I would love to be able to rationalize this away to somehow say that Levi, you know, still worked on the side as a tax collector. He had his 401k all set, and so everything was fine, and it wasn't that big of a risk, and all those kind of things. There's no sense to make that out in the actual words that we have here. And what we have is the sense that there was this radical break that Levi made with everything he had before. So he'd lost all of his friends. He had made a lot of money, but it wouldn't have been worth much because he was ostracized within his very people. And yet this guy walks by, Jesus, and says, come and follow me, and he ditches everything and comes and follows him. How does Jesus think about people? Not in the same way that we do. Jesus looks at people, and somehow he sees through a very different lens everything that would have been set up by then. And that time and that culture and the ways of viewing people would have led Jesus and expected Jesus to reject Levi as everybody else had. Jesus saw people through a different lens. I don't know what, what lens you see people through. I'm going to give you one of mine and trust you with it a little bit. Um, I have a hard time right now with how with the first thoughts that come into my mind when I see people that I perceive to be houseless in our city. It was one thing to see them downtown it was another thing to see them around the freeways and on ramps and off ramps. And now they're in my neighborhood. And I have a hard time with how I, the thoughts that come to mind when I first see them. 
It's not my first thought. It's not my second thought. It's often like my third or fourth thought where I can actually have a gracious, human, caring thought towards them. I went to a, uh, uh, an event uh, about a month ago. It was uh, it's Friday, February 18th. And the event was called A Time to Listen, A Time to Act. And it invited faith leaders from around the city. If you don't know what that is, that's like pastors and priests and rabbis and uh, nonprofit leaders that are faith-based organizations. And there was about, I don't know, 100 of us uh, in, the, in the room. And uh, up front were uh, commissioners from our city, council people, um, leaders both from, mostly from Portland, some from Gresham, um, some, uh, we heard stories of men who had gone through um, life-transforming experiences through uh, Christian nonprofit organizations in our city, getting men off the streets and off of drugs and, and into employment. Um, we heard from nonprofit organization leaders who were working um, to serve those that are homeless. The city commissioners, Dan Ryan is one of them, you may know his name. Um, he shared a story that his brother had spent years on the streets and had actually passed away within the last couple years on the streets. And so it was personal for him. And as he talked about what his office was doing, what he was trying to do, he made the distinction between houselessness and homelessness. And he said, let's be honest, we have both a problem with houselessness and homelessness, but they're not the same thing and they're different. Some people have lost their house or do not have a house, and that's one thing. But when you do not have a home, you've been cut off from any sense of relationship or family or people that love you or care you, and there's no one within reach that you can touch and say, I need help, that will actually turn and help you. I don't know what you think about the language of homelessness versus houselessness and what's right and wrong, and if you accidentally say the right one or the wrong one, and I don't really care. What was really helpful to hear from him in that was that there are people who have nobody in their life who knows them and cares about them. And that is something very different than whether they can procure housing and pay for housing on a regular basis. And those are intertwined and complicated problems and issues. But it, what it did is it helped move from my third or fourth thought up close to maybe my second or maybe even my first on good days, that that's a human being out there living in a tent as it's raining hour after hour on this particular day, and I can't imagine what that's like. And there's another one who burned it down trying to stay warm. And there's another one that never thought that they would be addicted to drugs, but they find themselves addicted to drugs. And in my neighborhood, as I'm driving between my house and the freeway on-ramp, to watch a, a father and a mother carry two kids and a newborn over a fence where they clearly were sleeping in a tent the night before, and to go, I can't even fathom getting to that place because I've never even asked the question in my life, will there be anybody there when I reach out? The lens that we see people through sometimes is so intertwined and automatic that we don't even question it. The way that Jesus thinks about people is often different than our own way that we think about people. And this is just a quick couple verses where Jesus says, the person that you're ostracizing and aren't even treating as human anymore is the one that I'm going to reach out to and bring close to me. Not compliment, not offer something and keep walking, but to reach out and say, I'm going to pull you close to me. That's not something that all of us can, can do 
with the next person that we see who is living on the streets. But it should check our lens and say, what do we see when we see people? The thing that Levi does next is pretty stunning. It says this in verse 29, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. This is a pretty fascinating scene. First of all, it tells you that that Levi actually does have some friends. Um, There are a bunch of other, like, not great people like himself, not super respectable, have compromised all of his relationships and thrown all of his friends under his bus and taken money from them as a tax collector. But he's got a whole bunch of those guys that live in different neighborhoods and corners of the city. And he says, hey, let's all get together. And the reason he does this is he's met Jesus and Jesus has transformed his life that fast. He says, I'm going to move from a career of tax collecting. I'm going to leave that behind, but I'm going to invite all my friends. And it says, and sinners. So fill in the blank of who that is. All the people that the normal people in society turn their head away from. The people that Jesus, that everybody assumed Jesus would not spend time with. He invites them all over to his house at one time. Can you imagine what the, what the posting would have liked, liked for that? Hey, everybody, come over. If you're a tax collector or a sinner, my place Friday night. I mean, it was something like that. Everybody come over who knows that you're rejected by the majority of our culture and society. And they're all in the house, and Jesus goes over there. And this is what happens when people get transformed by Jesus. And for those of you who have been following Jesus for some time, you might be able to remember this way in your past. I remember feeling like that. I can't wait to tell somebody about Jesus. This is what he's done in my life, and I have to tell the people around me. And then time goes on, and we kind of adjust to it a little bit, and then we get used to it. And then all of a sudden, this idea enters our mind down the road. If I talk about Jesus around my friends, they might think less of me. Like, that's a later idea. But when you first come to Jesus and everything changes, You can't wait to tell people. And this is Levi. And Levi says, hey, everybody come over to my house. The way that Jesus feels about Levi and the list of people that he would have invited, other tax collectors and sinners, is that he's willing to pay a price to be around them. He's willing to go hang out with them. Sharing a meal with somebody, like going over to somebody's house and sharing a meal in that culture at that time would have been this this hard-line that you, you are fully aware of when you cross over and step over it. When you ate with somebody, when you shared a meal around a table, it was called table fellowship. When you shared table fellowship with somebody, you were not just communicating to the person on the other side of the table or whoever was sitting at the table, but you were communicating to your entire city. I'm with this person. I fully accept and embrace this person. I'm not ashamed that anybody knows that I'm embracing this person or this family or this household. The Pharisees, with the best intentions in mind, I loved how Adam said it last week, as we so often can just throw the Pharisees under the bus. If you don't know who a Pharisee is, it's a religious leader at the time, and they had great authority and influence in their culture. And they would walk around and kind of basically go, that's good, that's bad, that's good, that's bad, and everybody would kind of follow suit. And they taught the scriptures, the Old Testament, on a regular basis in public in the synagogue. So those were, those were the Pharisees. And so they would kind of, the, the, the scripture, New Testament kind of paints this picture as they kind of hover around together and do this at, at, at things going on in society. And so they would have looked at tax collectors and sinners and just done this. And everybody would have known, okay, we ostracize them, we leave them out. Jesus says, up, it says no, I'm accepting these people. So much so that now he's not just going to walk with me down the street, but he, I'm going to go to his house and spend time with him. So I fully accept him. Table fellowship meant mutual acceptance. I'm accepting him. He's accepting me. This would have been plastered everywhere. Everybody would have known it immediately, almost as fast as a tweet could travel across Jerusalem. And to say, yes, this is 
somebody that this guy Jesus accepts, and it, it just would have shocked them. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. The other thing that's going on here is that Levi just gets intuitively, it just oozes out of him this mission that he is now on, that it's not just about him, but it's for others around him. And he says, hey, everybody with me. I'm in this place. I have this social influence with these tax collectors and these sinners. That's become my people because my people have rejected me. But these are his people. And he says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to invite you to come and know Jesus too. This is a great picture of who God has called us as a church to be. This is a great picture of who God is calling Mosaic to be and every Jesus-following church in our city is to be on mission and to look at the social influence and networks and relationships that we have in our life. We've said it this way. Back in September and October, we did a series, Gardens, Houses, Families. And we had three questions that went with each three of those images. It's taken from uh, the book of Jeremiah, what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in exile, which if you're a follower of Jesus, you're in exile in Portland. This is, this is part of our mission and our calling. It's not easy, but God called us into this and has given us a vision for it. And houses, the question that we asked with houses is where has God placed you? And not literally just in one house, but think of a physical house as a place God has placed you somewhere, and when you're in a place, you have relational connections with people. And we used a grid of four words. Where do you live? Where do you work? Where do you learn? And where do you play? Live, work, learn, play. And we now, just a few short months later, have stories popping up of where God is at work in the same way that Levi was, inviting his friends and saying, I want you to know Jesus. And it's happening in different ways. Uh, where we live. I have a friend who just this past week said, um, so I'm in this new situation. I started praying for my neighbor and getting to know them. And now a, a number of months later, we're at this place where uh, I'll be making dinner and they will just walk into the house, sit down and start talking to me. They've stopped knocking. Now, for some of us, we go, uh, warning signs, how do I get that to stop? And I don't ever want that to happen. And that's fine. Maybe your, work, your place is going to be play, and that's fine. But where we live, isn't that a beautiful thing that her, her neighbor has gotten to know her enough? And her neighbor and her children do not know Jesus. That they're at, they're at a friendship level just walks in the house and says, hey, what are you making for dinner? And this is what my day was like. Ah, that's awesome. Work. You're going to hear in a few weeks or months, we don't know exactly when, but one of the next people that we're going to commission up here it's going to be a couple men who have a vision that God has placed in their, in their head, in their heart, this vision for when they're on, they're, they're, uh, they work in the construction industry and are contractors, and when they're working with, with peers to, to share their faith with, with them through, through relationships, through trust built, through friendship. Like, like that's not just work anymore. That's That's mission that God's calling them to say, look who I've placed you around. This is something that they came up with that God prompted in them. We learn. We learn at all different levels, grad school and undergrad and high school and middle school and elementary school. And it would be great if we had a story of a, of a preschooler leading their, their preschool friend to, to Jesus. We, I don't know that we have one of those yet. But what we do is we had, a, we had a retreat last week for high schoolers, and we prayed for it here, and they got here right as our gathering ended, I believe. And we have high schoolers who are talking to their friends and inviting them. They have been for the last couple months to Alpha. And someone on this retreat that 
They're saying, hey, I, I know Jesus. I want, you to, I want you to hear a little bit about Jesus. Would you come where we learn and where we, where we play, where we work out? I've heard a story. I don't know uh, who it is, but I, I heard a story that there's a, 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 some people that work out at a gym regularly have just begun praying for the other people that are working out at that gym. They say, God, you've got me here for a certain time of a week, and I, I, I actually want to see these people through your eyes, through your lens, and begin praying for them. And so when we say our vision as a church is over the next few years to, to equip and commission 500 people, that is a sense of like each and every one of us are called to the places that we live, work, learn, and play to do exactly what Levi did, to say, hey, come and hear about Jesus. Come and meet Jesus. That's the party he throws, but then there's this trick question that pops up. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So the Pharisees and teachers of the law complain to his disciples and they ask this, this question, why do you eat with tax collectors? There's this trick question and it's like a, uh, it's this really, uh, there's a motive behind the question and there's, there's intention behind it and it's, it's meant, to, meant to trick you and not a trick question like, um, uh, like it's not like wheels or doors. Uh, it's, it's like, like, which one? Do some research, make a guess, pick which one. I'm, I've, I'm on Team Wheels, if you don't know about this. It's this thing that the last number of weeks on TikTok and Twitter, um, which are things, um, that they, uh, there's a debate uh, of which in the world are there more of, uh, you know, and uh, in case, I shouldn't have said that. I need to do this. Come back, stop thinking about that. If you're watching online, put your phone down. I know you're Googling something right now. It can wait. You can do it over lunch with your friends. Wheels and doors is this debate that is growing, and it's really, it's, it's consumed our globe, and we have to find an answer, or it's just, we're just going to explode, apparently. But it's a fun, really, debate. That's just, that's just fun. This question from, from the Pharisees was not for fun. It was meant to trick them. Why? They asked the disciples, this is fascinating, they asked the disciples, but it's a question directed at Jesus. They asked the disciples, why do you, why do you hang out and eat and, and have table fellowship with people that we give the thumbs down to that we know are not good, that are going to make us unrighteous, that are going to make us unclean? And, and it's this, this question meant to, to trick Jesus. The other thing is, is there's, this, there's this key giveaway. It's the word complaining. It's the same word for grumbling that's used all the way back in Israel's history. In Numbers chapter 14, when God and Moses are talking, praying, and Moses is kind of debating back and forth with God because God is deeply disappointed in his people, because he has freed them from slavery, because he has provided for them, because he has done miracles in front of them, because he has revealed himself as a loving, powerful, just God who hears them and answers their prayer. And they're complaining and saying, we want a different leader than Moses and we want to go back into slavery in Egypt because we had a guaranteed meal that we thought tasted better than the one we have now. And so, God, we don't, we don't think you're good enough for us. The word to describe that was complaining or grumbling. And Luke takes that word with that sentiment and puts it in the mouth of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees then say, why do you eat and hang out and share table fellowship with tax collectors and sinners? We don't like what's going on here. It doesn't fit our lens of how we see people. We want it to be different and changed. 
And Jesus responds with this. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus' behavior, he thinks differently about them. His heart breaks for them. He feels for them. He cares about them. And then his behavior is such that he's going to share table fellowship with them. He's going to spend time with them. He's going to be with them. And the reason is, is because they are sinners who need to be called to repentance. And he's going to do it in person. He's not going to mail it in. He's not going to say it as he walks by Levi. But he's going to stay and spend time with him. And there was critique and ridicule and criticism from those in the established religious leaders of the time who walked by the house, who picked a few disciples and said, hey, come outside, we gotta ask you a question. Why, is, why are you doing this? Why is this going on? And it's not the, the sense of like, hey, inform us. It's the sense of, this is wrong, get him to stop. And Jesus says, no. One of the things with following Jesus is that when Jesus puts himself out there to be ridiculed and critiqued and criticized and questioned, is that if we're following Jesus, we're going to experience that as well. There's going to be questions and ridicule and critique that comes at us as we follow Jesus that's really not about us, but that's directed for Jesus. And one of the great things that we can have confidence in is that we don't have to answer it. It's beautiful here that we don't have Peter's answer. Who knows what way he would have put his foot in his mouth if he would have tried to answer. James didn't pop off with a really clean, this is the answer for you Pharisees and keep moving on your way. They didn't have to answer. Jesus stepped in and answered. They asked the disciples and Jesus steps in and answers and says, here's my mission. I've not come to call the righteous. They're with me. Or like you Pharisees who think you're righteous, you're not ready yet. You don't know. But I am here for the the sick, because I'm the great physician, and I have what they need, and they know what's needed. I love this, this statement um, by Robert Munger. It's, a, it's about the church, and it says this, the church is the only fellowship in the world where the one requirement for membership is the unworthiness of the candidate. I hope you can relax when you hear that. I hope you can take a deep breath. Man, whether you feel like you're known here or if you're just sliding in and then sliding back out and you don't have relationships yet, just know that, that, that you're unworthy on your own, in your own power, to earn God's love. It is already given to each and every one of us. And so we can sit here and relax and go, I can't do anything for God to love me. He already does. He knows that I'm sick. He's called me to repentance. Hopefully we have responded in some way and has said, I've, I've repented. He hasn't left me where I am, but he's called me to repentance. He hasn't just accepted me. He's then said, I'm ready to transform you and heal you, make you whole. And we are all on that journey together. You may or may not know this, but there's about 150 men that come into this space every Monday night for AA. And it's an AA group that has been in existence longer than we have as a church. It started by a couple Catholic men in the neighborhood. And every Monday night, men stand up and they say, my name is Tim. My name is Bob. My name is Jacob. My name is fill in the blank. And I'm an alcoholic. And somehow, when we lose any sense of that we've walked in here and we've figured it out and we're good enough on our own, then we miss 
Jesus's behavior with walking with us, the way he feels about us, the way he sees us as someone who needs what he has to offer, and he is willing and ready and eager to give it, and we celebrate that. And so when we hear Jesus's mission statement, I have come to call the sick, the sinner, to repentance, to wholeness, and I'm the answer that they need. We celebrate that, we remind ourselves that, we teach ourselves that over and over again, and we are ready to share that with those closest to us. We're gonna continue to sing, and as we do that, we're gonna do this this thing that we regularly do together, and, and we're still doing it with these cups. We won't be doing it this way forever. But this is the reminder of Jesus' mission statement, that he has come to call the sinner to repentance that he's come to give his own life. And so there's a little, you pull the, the, the tab off the top, and there's a little piece of something, cracker, meant to represent Jesus' body broken, the bread. And then you push down the silver tab and then peel that back. And that's the juice meant to represent his blood shed for us. Jesus, we receive your body broken and your blood shed, knowing that you're the great physician that each and every one of us sinners needs. Would you continue to humble us and give us both the humility to say we're in need and the strength to say we need you? We receive your body and your blood now. In your name, Jesus, amen.